Welcome to our podcast, What I Love About Bell with Hillary Cole. However, today Hillary is off to Chicago, so we have our winemaker, John Hazak. Hi, John. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? We have just started to release the 2020 vintage red wines, and John is going to let us taste some and talk about them. Hey, everyone. Um, yeah, we have just started to release the uh, 2020s to the wine club, and uh, these, these wines are beautiful. I'm very uh, excited to, to release them. This was my first vintage start to back, um, and uh, it was certainly an interesting one. I think uh, it was a yeah, I landed here just uh, a little bit before COVID did, <laughs> so it was uh, quite of a quite a doozy of a introduction to Bell. But um, we got past the uh, the initial struggles of that and got into the winemaking. Um, the season overall was it was still drought, so relatively dry. Which drought years are usually good ones, but um, you know it's extended drought is not good. So we do love the rain that came along. But um, what we see usually with hot year, a hot dry year is ripe, ripe fruit, you know, ripe flavors, and I think uh, 2020 definitely has that. Um, the kicker with the 2020 was the fires that came along. Fortunately, uh, the first fire was the Hennessy fire that uh, most of the smoke blew away from us, so we didn't really have any issues, but of course we were on guard at that point. Uh, the one that was uh, more concerning was the Shasta fire, which, well, far away to the north, blew some of the smoke into the valley. So that was the one where, okay, we had to regroup. We had to start testing the grapes. Uh, we have some labs that can test the grapes, but they were overwhelmed with so many samples. So some of the decisions we had to make were, you know, on, on a gut. It was on a hunch. And also, I think the big thing at play here is we learned a lot with the 2017 fires. 2017 uh, hit us, I think, harder than 2020 in terms of effect on the wines. Um, 2020 certainly was horrible with the damage to the valley and many wineries and businesses. It, it, was, a, it was a tough year, um, but I think we learned a lot from 2017. And where that came into play is learning where we can take a risk and where we needed to refuse fruit. So in the end, I ended up... Um, not bringing in about 15 to 20 percent of our fruit and it was a low yielding year in the first place so the good thing about 2020 is quality of what we did put in bottle is great but there's not much of it so in some cases i think there's going to be at least one of our club shipments that has mixed clones instead of uh, two bottles of one clone because we just don't have enough the shasta fire put us on guard and we had samples out there couldn't get them in time but um, we, we were able to make good decisions based on what was high risk and what was acceptable risk or no risk. And uh, fortunately, that played out in our favor. And the big one in the end was the glass fire. The glass fire was the one that came all the way across the north end of the valley. We certainly had a smoke effect from that. Uh, when I heard about that, which I think it started up on a Sunday night, um, I got on the phone immediately with the rest of my growers. We had a little bit of fruit left out there, including our estate. Um, I said, let's bring it all in as, soon, as fast as possible. So in the last two days, I believe last two days of September, uh, we, we, put it, we brought in all of our October fruit, which wasn't much. And it was all in that, ripen, you know, that ripeness window, maybe not quite as far as I would have liked, but still perfectly acceptable. Uh, brought that fruit in. 
And sure enough, by the, the afternoon on that Tuesday, the smoke started settling in. Wow. So I'm glad we avoided that. Many people were still uh, hanging, a lot of fruit still hanging. So I think it's hit and miss with a lot of that. But I'm glad we got ours in because it turned out fine. Um, and again, a riper vintage. So I think that fruit that was brought in a little early was still you know, in good shape and uh, very expressive. So I'm very happy with that. Um, what we have in front of us, I just took a little sampling of our 2020 reds and um, starting with the Reserve Cab and the Clone 7, which were just released in this current uh, wine club shipment for March, uh, well, end of February, March, early March. Um, those are showing very well and there's a reason we released those a little bit earlier because they are a little more approachable right now. One thing about the 2020 vintage is it's not wimpy. I think that's if there's one big difference between 2017, which had the fires, and 2020 is 2017, the wines were a little bit lighter and more approachable early on. The 2020s are fitting with the current trend of the 18s, 19s, 20, and 21, which they are they're big wines and uh, you know, exemplary, exemplary of what Napa can do and certainly age-worthy. So a couple of these others, the Clone 338, which is a new one, and a Clone 191, which is a new one, which is why, why I brought those to taste. Um, those are a little more substantial, but it's not, it's not really going to be a, a vintage you need to wait 10 years on, but certainly uh, giving them a little time, or if you uh, do decide to drink, uh, maybe a little decanting for half an hour or so would certainly help them. So what we have in our glass right now is the Reserve Cab. I'm very happy with this. This does include a lot of the uh, fruit that I did bring in slightly early, while the clones pretty much came in on time. The clones are mostly from Mount Veter and Rutherford, and those areas were on track, and they ripened properly, and I brought them in at their sweet spot. So that was that was a happy story. Yes, good. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, the reserve cab includes a little bit of spillover from the clones, plus some other vineyards that did uh, come in just a tad early, but uh, turned out beautifully. And it doesn't seem underripe whatsoever. It seems like it, we got the ripe fruit, and I like the profile. Mm. It's very, I get a lot of uh, kind of boysenberry and you know a mix of dark and red fruits. Yeah, I mean, I love the saturation in there. Plenty of body, uh, great pure flavors, a ripe profile. Um, I don't get any kind of green or herbal characters on this wine. It seems to be very uh, fruit-dominated and um, with just the right amount of barrel toast and barrel contribution. And uh, one thing to look for, if you do decide to taste some bottles now and taste them later, you'll see the integration of that oak. The oak starts out when these wines are young as something that is maybe a little more obvious or noticeable, and it becomes part of the wine as we age. I personally like a sweet spot of about five or six years uh, before after the vintage date. That's where I love my Napa cabs. I think certainly they can go longer, but I like that point because there's still you have a lot of that youthful fruit and that sense of place. Where did this come from? Was this from Mount Veter or Coombsville or Rutherford? You can feel the vineyard in there uh, without having sacrificed any of that. You still have the development that comes with those years. 
while we generally are releasing these at three or four years uh, past vintage, that's kind of the early part. And I think, like I said, decanting will certainly help. But if you are able to hold on to these for another year or two, it'll pay off. Mm -hmm. These wines do well with a little more age. So what do you think about the Very reserve good. cab? And I'm happy it is in the first shipment. It's going to express well. Um, you can drink now, but like I said, this thing will go for uh, two, three, four more years to really be in its peak okay. of drinking. And then it will age you know, after that, depending on when you like your wines. Some people like them 10, 12, 14 years old, and that's fine. They just lose a little bit of that youthful fruitiness and start to become a more developed wine okay. with some of those cues. All, All right, right, so this one is... So we are now on the uh, Clone 7. This is from uh, Rutherford, a little bit from Atlas Peak, a little bit from St. Helena, but uh, primarily the core of it is from Rutherford. Um, I, I love Clone 7. I think it's, uh, it is very uh, common throughout the valley, but there's a reason for that. It's a good producer, but it also has some of those classic Cabernet cues. And in a cooler vintage and a cooler site, it might express a little more on the herbal side, uh, we're on a site with low yields, plenty of sunlight, and ripening power, so uh, it does, doesn't tend to have too many of the herbal components, but a nice balance of, of that fruit and, you know, something that I perceive as it's Clone 7. You taste it, you know it's Clone 7. So. A lot of uh, Rutherford dust, rum raisin in here. And yeah, I, I think I get a little forest floor. So there's some layers in this one. Um, long flavors, I like that. And that's one thing I do enjoy about Clone 7 is just that, that those long flavors, a little more breadth on the palate, while some others, like for example, we'll get to Clone 191, a little more linear, but you know, great in its own way. But that's what's great about the clones is that you know, they, they're all Cabernet, but you know, over you know, decades and even hundreds of years, people have selected, you know, vine parcels that are great in every year and used wood cuttings from those to replant vineyards. And as that goes on and on over time, you've selected for something that is, you know, in theory and in DNA exactly the same as its counterpoint, but it is, um, you know, it has its own character. It's really been um, affected by its environment. Hmm. And... Um, you know, Clone 7 has certainly been around for a while in Napa Valley. So, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. And uh, this one is certainly, um, yeah, a more on the approachable side. I don't even know if half an hour de decanter is necessary on this one. So, yeah. Nice. All right, now we've moved to Clone 338. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, it's a it's the first time I've worked with Clone, Clone 338 in this site. I've worked with it once before, and it was solid, but uh, in, in a much cooler environment. Uh, this is Rutherford, beautiful land. It's on a Rutherford bench, uh, eastern, eastern part of the valley, but it's on that bench land that we all love for uh, you know, high-quality Cabernet. Uh, I got kind of lucky on this because the winemaker that normally got this fruit, uh, she didn't want to take a chance with the, the fires, the Shasta smoke that had set in. So um, the grower had a great... Um, you know, a great clause in their contract with us where they would take back the wine if it was tainted. Mm. So I said, that's a great offer. And then they won't, you know, they wouldn't invoice us for the fruit if it was bad. Right. Which is, you know, that's a great business model, I think. But 
you know, this grower has the ability to do that. Um, not all of them do. But since that winemaker decided not to take this fruit, I raised my hand. I said, hey, I'll try it. What, you know, what's to lose? It's great fruit on a perfect, you know, perfect site. And, uh, yeah, maybe I can only get it for one year, but it's worth it. And uh, we didn't get any Clone 6 for 2020. That was affected by the it fires. Was. That was very nearby the uh, Hennessy fire. So, so unfortunately, no Clone 6, but this one is taking its place, the 338. And uh, I'm very happy it is because I, I, I loved the chance to work with it. Uh, this one is uh, definitely, it, it's, it just, it's a very classy wine. There's something about this clone that, to me, it's, it's certainly on the ripe end of the spectrum, but it's um, similar to Clone 7 in, in that Rutherford dust, rum raisin, some, you know, red to blue fruits maybe. But um, there's something about it that it just, yeah, it has, it has a certain classiness to it that I love. Yeah, this one is, and, and it has good structure. This one will age a long time. Um, love the flavors. Really happy I got to work with this one. And you can see why, you know, this this went into a pretty, um, pretty expensive bottle. <laughs> when it comes down to it, especially wines of this caliber, I'm really focusing on each barrel. Each barrel is its, uh, is its own little beast. It's a nat you know, the wine is already a natural product and you're putting it into oak barrels that are natural product. Every barrel, we look for consistency when we choose our barrels and our favorite coopers that make the barrels. But wood is wood, you know? So it, you know, there are, there are slight differences in the barrels sometimes. Sometimes they're very consistent, but sometimes I see big enough differences where I might want, not want to bring, include a barrel in a blend. So that's what these wines are, is fine-tuning. It's, it's about selecting the barrels that express themselves the best and show the site, uh, the clone, and the, and the variety, typicity, mm -hmm. Cabernet. Um, that's what I'm looking for. And if something is a little off, then I won't include it in the, in the clone. However, what, you know, what doesn't make those clones can make for amazing blenders for the reserve cab. The reserve cab is one where it's kind of a patchwork quilt of so many different things. So you might have strengths and weaknesses of everything, but you put them together and you fill in those gaps. And that's what, you know, you get nice, well-rounded wine. That's what's great about blends. So the Reserve Cab is a blend of mostly Cabernets from all around the valley. And, uh, and it, it is, it's a very seamless wine because it has all those individual components with their, you know, harnessing all the strengths from each site. So, but uh, again, 338, um, I'm really happy I got to play with that one for a year. I didn't get it for 21, unfortunately, but uh, I'm going to keep my eyes out for it. Really happy with the way Very this one coming, came out. And I think it'll be a, a fun addition to your cellar. So. <laughs> so as far as the numbers, how are those chosen? So this is clone 191. Uh, generally, when you see a three-digit clone number, that was developed in France, in Ra. Bordeaux, uh, so 337, 338, 191. Mm -hmm. Those came over from France and are pretty much in their original state from, from what they were uh, what they were originally. Uh, the, the, the lower digit ones like four and six and seven were developed here. Generally UC Davis and Foundation Plant Services through UC Davis. Um, 
those, you know, for example, Clone 4 that was uh, isolated in Mendoza, Argentina and brought oh. up here. Clone 6 came from the Jackson Research Station for UC Davis out in the foothills where Cabernet doesn't really grow that well. But when it came back here, it's one of winemakers' favorites because it's, you know, such small, small concentrated berries mm -hmm. that are, are amazing. Uh, growers hate it because there's so little crop. <laughs> but... Um, so they, they, you know, these all have their own characters that, that have been that response to their, the environment that I was talking about. So uh, when you see the three-digit, generally you can think France, and um, the single-digit are um, or single or double-digit, there's 31 and some others that are also uh, from California. Hmm. Or they were taken from France and then treated, if they had any uh, viruses or anything, they get cleaned up. UC Davis before they get released to uh, American wineries or growers. So, but uh, Clone 191 is a different one. This is Mount Veeder, and I wasn't planning to bottle this initially, and it usually goes into the reserve cab or part of what we had our, as our long table single vineyard. Um, that long table vineyard up on Mount Veeder is beautiful, and we get three clones of Cabernet from that vineyard. We get uh, Clone 169, which we generally bottle on its own, um, Clone 191 here, and Clone 337. So 191 is very interesting because it's, it's a very low-yielding clone, and the fruit is so dark. Hmm. And what it reminds me of, I don't know if there are any f um, fans of Bordeaux out there, but some of the more modern Bordeaux, and I'm thinking like 2016, 2018, uh, you'll see that Bordeaux has really come into a style that is a little more approachable than they used to be, but very dark fruit, a really dark fruit core, and that's what this one shows. So I think, I mean, I, I would have the hunch that there's a lot of this planted in Bordeaux just because I see how it expresses itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, different growing climate and, and terroir, so hard to say. But um, this reminds me, a lot about the great Bordeaux that I've enjoyed, the ones I really like that just have this in, immense dark core, yet they're not aggressive. It, it feels, it smells, and it, and it initially tastes like it's going to be huge wine with big tannins, but then it's it just lets off and is really silky. So big, dark core, but kind of a gentle giant in some ways. Huh. That's what's really neat about this one, and I thought it was worth capturing for this vintage. Yeah, I mean, a lot of structure, but it's very, very fine blanket of tannins. Um, I would love to see this one in about two years. I think it's going to be firing on all cylinders. So <laughs> really, uh, really happy with this one. And um, it's neat, again, to capture something that we haven't done before. Right. 338 and 191 in the same vintage. So uh, that's, you know, hey, an outcome from the fires that I didn't expect. And turned out to play in our favor so a great and, and, story yeah, and delicious wine thank you that's uh, i think that's that's the fun and i really um from my perspective on the clones of cabernet that we specialize in is i want to showcase more clones i don't want to be stuck on all the same clones all the time mm -hmm. i think when we have something special it's worth capturing so that this vintage allowed us to do that and um yeah i i I'm really happy with 2020 overall. Um, again, it's, it's near and dear to my heart because it was my first vintage, you know, 
arriving uh, a little well, a little while before harvest and um, getting on board at Bell. And it's, it's fun to watch these evolve and also help to allow me to shape what came next. You know, the 2021 wines are beautiful, wonderful vintage. I, I started hearing little bits and pieces from media about 2021. And I think uh, after the drama of 2020, <laughs> it was easy to overlook something that was a little bit more calm and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I think we appreciate that. But I think maybe we underestimated the wines at first because 21 looks really beautiful. Uh, I, I like the, uh, the purity and the freshness that they have. While 2020, a little more flamboyance and a little, you know, a ripe, ripe character that's just showy and, and fun. So, and are these yeah. the four um, cabs or are no, there we more? Have more? We have, okay. uh, well, we have the reserve cab here, but we bottled five clones. Okay. So the ones that are not here are 169 from Mount mm-hmm. Veter. And three three seven gotcha. from Rutherford, so those are those have been here a while, and yeah. uh, I think they're fan favorites. But I, I think uh, it was nice to taste through something new, something and, different, uh, yeah. and show that this vintage is uh, it's, it's a good one. It's just there's not much of it, and uh, I think it's it's sad to see a lot of what happened mm-hmm. during that vintage. Um, so for me, there it's always I'm always going to remember this. The fact that we were lucky enough to get some great wines out of it, and um, and hopefully many others do, and I'm starting to see good you know good responses from the critics on them as well. Good. So and and in most cases, I mean I think most wineries, if if a wine is so tainted by smoke, we're not going to bottle it. It's it's not what we do. Mm-mm. That's it's Napa for a reason, and and we uh, we take pride in our quality and what we produce. So. Um, we wouldn't put these in bottle if we didn't think they were worth sharing. Beautiful. Cheers, everyone. Oh, additionally, uh, if you happen to be around, we will be uh, bottling on March 15th and 16th. And uh, welcome people to come and uh, take a look at the, you know, the madness that is bottling. <laughs> uh, all the stars have to align. Yeah, all the materials have to be here. So hopefully, you know, crossing my fingers that everything will go well. But we will be bottling our whites, our rosé, and early reds. So uh, we've got the Napa Sauv Blanc. There's no Lake County Sauv Blanc this year. So just the Napa Sauv Blanc. Um, the Fay Rosé. The Dia Pino, Pinot Noir. And the Sierra Foothills Syrah and Scoundrel Red Blend. So I'm, uh, I'm wrapping up my blending for those. We're getting them uh, assembled, the blends assembled in tank right now, and just getting everything prepped. So it's going to be, uh, it's, you know, there are days that are quite busy, and pretty soon the cellar will be full of empty glass pallets and cork and capsules and labels. So it's, uh, yeah, it's coming. It's uh, not a winemaker's favorite part of the year, but it's still, it does definitely feel good to get our babies in bottle because they've had a long journey and we want to get them <laughs> safely in bottle. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit of, little bit of madness with a good, good ending. <laughs> All right, I hope you can join us. Well, we certainly look forward to sharing our 2020 wines with you. Let us know what you think about them. Thank you for being here, John, and sharing all the wonderful information and great job. Beautiful wines. Cheers. Cheers. For more information, give us a ring or visit our website, bellwine.com.